I want you to turn in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm preaching a series of messages called The Eight Judgments of God. I've got kind of stuck on number four. And I was going to move on. The Lord wouldn't let me. I just, last night, just wrote a new sermon. I just, uh, God was speaking to me. I just wanted to go back because I just don't think you got it. I don't think you get what Paul was trying to get us all to get. Paul was burdened about this. He was troubled about this. He wanted us to get this. The judgment seat of Christ for the Christian was no plaything for Paul. It was serious. And look what he said, verse number eight. We are, or verse seven, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll walk by sight and not by faith. And that's going to be good, isn't it? We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul didn't have a problem with that. And most Christians probably, if they've prayed any kind of prayer or they've been under the gospel there, will tell you that they've been saved. But he said, because of, wherefore means because of that, isn't that? Because of that, we labor. We toil. We give it everything we have. Whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, here's what Paul was burdened about. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, that's a strong word. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. That's what he says right there. We persuade men. I preach the way I preach because I know when we stand at the beam of seat, the seat, the throne, the judgment, where the church, the believer, and the Christian will be judged, I know it is not going to be what some folks think it's going to be. It is not a McDonald's party. So put your little whistles back and your toy caps up because it's not going to be like that. And so as we look at this, Paul was afraid not for himself, he had learned it. He had bought into it. But he was afraid for their destination. Then let's look at this first thing. The first thing I want you to look at is in verse number 8. The destination, and I've got to, I've got to lay a little groundwork here before I get to the, to the crowns and why, how important they are. The destination is heaven, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. There was absolutely no problem with Paul. If he died, he knew immediately he would be with Jesus. He didn't think he'd sleep a thousand years in a pile of dirt somewhere. He didn't think he'd rot in a box. He didn't think there was some place where ghosts went to. He knew to be absent from the body, but to be present with the Lord. I believe that too. I'd quit preaching. I'd get out of religion, but I didn't believe that. 
I believe exactly what God said. Paul believed it. I mean, he was sure. In fact, in Philippians, he said, I'd rather die. If you give me my choice, kill me. Amen. Only reason I'm hanging around is for you. Amen. That's what he said. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, he says it. So, he was wanting them to have the same confidence he had when they stood before God at the judgment, since it was going to be serious and somber, and so it drove him to try to make the believer better. I think we all ought to go hard for Jesus Christ because he's not going to give out any Budweiser or Chardonnay crowns. Uh, you're not going to get any for that. If you did, some of you would have a whole pile. In fact, we probably couldn't get them in the room. But I want you to notice what Hebrews 10, 31 says. This is why Paul is saying what he's saying. Hebrews 10, 31, look quickly, look quickly with me this morning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what Paul said. Now look over chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 28 and 29. Look at what he says. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God how? Acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. If you don't believe it, ask Moses. Ask Moses. And so he wanted them to understand standing before the judgment seat of Christ was not going to be so good because if it was wood, hay, and stubble, it was all going to burn up. And so he saw the seriousness of it, and God said, because of this, the terror of this, it terrorizes me to think of how some of you Christians are living. It terrorizes me to think about how some of you church is acting, and I want you to get it together so when you stand before God, you've got the same confidence I have. That's what he's saying. And so Paul says, what and who, and if we're going to represent Jesus Christ, we better get busy because we'll stand and answer and await your prize. How'd you do? Did you go hard for Jesus or did you just go soft? Did you, did you go faithful for Jesus or unfaithful? Did you go always, every day, all day for Jesus? How'd you go? You got to stand before him. Did you witness for Jesus Christ? I had a man come up to me. I, I was pastoring in Florida. They didn't like me anyway. Most people don't, but I just kind of, this church just really didn't like me. I mean, really, really, really didn't like me. And they didn't want me to bring poor people in, and they didn't want me to bring those little kids that lived down there in the swamps with drunken daddies and, and, and poor mamas and barely just getting by. But I, I visited it, every home in the whole area and was going to Bible college at the same time and pastoring full time. And next thing I know, a church is full, and we got people everywhere, and folks is starting to get saved. Folks is starting to get saved. We see, that bothered them because they didn't really want that. They wanted witnessing to them was something you just did every now and then. And a guy came up to me, a deacon, and said, I just want you to know, preacher, I witnessed one time. I said, go sit down. Let's go sit down. God help us, that's the best we can do. 
You say, well, why is all the fuss about it, okay? The destination of heaven requires an explanation of salvation before judgment. Now, don't you listen to this verse. I quoted it last week, but I did not exegete it last week. I want you to look at Psalm 711, and I'm just going to say it, and you know what it says. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. He does two things. He judges the righteous every day. He judges, he's angry with the wicked every day. He does those two things every day. That's what God does. So what's God doing? That's what God's doing right now. So that's where, that's why I spent so much time on those first three judgments because if God is judging right now, we got to have those first three. We got to have the judgment of the cross. We got to have the judgment of confession. And we've got to have the judgment of chastisement. So that's what God is doing every day somewhere to someone and with someone all across this world that's a believer in Jesus Christ. He's convicting them of their sin and they're confessing their sin and he's forgiving their sin. And if they don't confess their sin and turn from their wicked way, then he'll spank them and he'll spank them and he'll spank them. And if they still won't get right with God, he'll take them to heaven. So I'm not going to let you mess up my church. And so... That's where these three judgments are so important. Do you get it? He judges every day. It's not just the judgment seat of Christ. He's judging every day. Understand that. But the crowns or the rewards will come at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you separate the two? Okay. I want you to get that. So it keeps it. It keeps the two families separated. It keeps the lost family and the saved family separated. You see? God God makes sure he feels about one party different than he does the other party. And In fact, on one side you have the holy righteous Hatfields and on the other side you have the mean McCoys. That's what you are. So what is the basis for the reward? How does God deal? How can God pour wrath and how can God reward us? What is the basis for the reward? Well, thank God, I don't have to give you a long list today. I can give you one basis that Jesus uses for reward. Are y'all ready for this? John chapter 12, verse number 28 tells us the basis that God is going to use for every reward. John chapter 12, verse number 28. Look there, if I can ever find it. John chapter 12, verse number 28. Are you looking at it? All right, read it to me. Listen, I got the wrong verse. (laughs) He that rejecteth me, say it. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, say it. Hath one that judges him. Say it. The word that I have spoken. Say it. The same shall judge him in the last day. There's one basis for the judgment. The word of God. 
Everything you'll be judged by, everything that you've done, every act, every, every, every work, every service, every mercy, every ministry, whatever you do will be judged for what's in this book. You may think you have done a wonderful thing when God said, it's not the way I said it in the book. And you may have thought it wasn't too good, but God said you did exactly the way I said it in the book. So I'm going to tell you if you're lost or saved, It doesn't matter. You're going to be judged by one thing, the book. Y'all just not with me this morning. All right. So there's the definition of heaven. There's the explanation of salvation. There's the combination of both of our Christian life and our Christian life. You see, we still have that old life, the dead man. We talked a little about it if we're saved. Now, I'm preaching all the time on the flesh, and, and, and I'm wanting us to understand what the flesh is. Here's what the flesh is. Here's what we want. The flesh is what we was before we got saved. In other words, if you're saved and you used to live a certain way, it didn't bother you too bad, you know? I mean, yeah, at night you thought about dying, going to hell, and, and sometimes you thought about it, but it didn't bother you too bad. But when you got saved, here's what happened. Every time you started to sin, every time you started to walk out of the will of God, what happened? You got miserable, right? And here's, let me tell you what it's like. What God does is when you get out of the will of God, he takes your old dead carcass and he straps it to you and it's like walking through the world with a dead man tied to your body, maggots running off of him, rotten and stinking and filthy. That's what our flesh was. Mm. And so that's a combination he's got to judge by. Was it in the flesh or was it... In the spirit. And he says it this way. Those who gained were rewarded. And those who lost, of course, were rewarded. That's how he's going to judge. Whether they did good or whether they did bad. These same two categories, these same two categories is still applicable today. Will you agree with me? Just, just somebody, just say I agree with you, preacher. The same two categories. Here's, here's, here's what you are if you're saved. If you're saved, you're either useful or useless. One of the two. As far, I'm talking about as far as God's concerned. You're either useful or useless. I want you to know that you bunch of deplorables, when you get saved, you're a bunch of adorables. I tied my tie a little longer today just in case Trump gets elected so I can wear my tie down as long as he does. He said, well, what are you going to do if Hillary gets elected? I'm going to use it to hang myself. (laughs) What I'm going to (laughs) do. But friend, I, (laughs) I don't want anybody to call God's people the deplorables. Because we love God and believe the Bible. And we want, to, we want a constitution that we stand by, not that we twist and turn and change and move and amend. We want a constitution to live by. That's how this country was built. And so we're the deplorables. She just said something else. She said we were the irredeemables. I got news for her. She's not the redeemer. Woo! No, 
No, sir. She's not the redeemer. Neither are you. Neither am I. None of us here today is irredeemable. Thank God we can all be redeemed. That's what the Bible says. So those two categories, just I could just keep on going. There's the hope so category. There's the no so category. There's the suspect category. There's the elect category. There's the loser category. There's the winner category. There's the lazy category. There's the laborer category. And then down to the line, God starts to judge. And he has plenty of judges. You say, well, he uses the word labor. That means to toil. What drives us to do that? What drives you to be here every Sunday? What drives you to be here on Wednesday night? What drives you to make sure your children does not miss Awana or a Sunday school class or children's choir or anything else that God is doing to help them grow in the Lord? What drives you? What moves you? What is it? What is the engine that pushes that? Let me tell you what, what it is. It's the new birth. You, you say, how, how could that happen? God just changed my life. No, 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 no. He, no, he did more than that. He not only changed your life, he built a new engine in you. If you don't believe it, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What did he say? Work your own salvation out. That means I put it in, now you work it out. That's what drives us. I put it in, you work it out. Ephesians 2.10 says, after he had said we're saved by grace through faith, Verse number 10 said, for we are created by God to be his workmanship. So when God saved us, folks, listen to me, he saved us to be his workman. That's what drives us. That's what moves us. That's why some of you are so miserable today because you know you hadn't been. Mm. New creation did something for me. God did an operation on me that stuck. All these they've done on me in the flesh, none of them worked. But then God did took. You ought to get up every morning and you ought to stand before God and say reporting for duty. Amen. Just like the flesh pulled and the spirit produces. Do you see the seriousness of this? You can find it also with the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man on earth, even though he got so far away from God, so backslid, in his older days, he worked his way back to God. He worked his way back to find what real wisdom really was. And he said that when he got to the end, that the conclusion of the matter was was to fear God and keep his commandments. Yeah, it boiled down, he said, to those two things. It just, listen, we got a lot of secret things in our past. I know all of us do. Jesus said every secret thing will be revealed, but that's his business, not our business. We don't get to go around telling what we know happened on somebody. Now, when they get saved, they don't mind. Listen, you, 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 like Brother Robert, he's told me a bunch of stuff. He wouldn't have cared if I'd have named them all because he'd been saved from them all. 
But, but it's not our job to reveal secret things about people, you know. You say, you know, I believe they've got a problem, you know. I'm not sure about them. And then you kind of lay a little innuendo in there, secret things. I like it when Dr. Rogers, he's my hero. He was elected president of Southern Baptist Convention in 1979. And of course, it made the news back then, and there was tensions high on both sides, the liberal side and the conservative side. And you know which side I fell out on. And the reporters was just hounding him and his family everywhere he goes, just hoping they could just try to find one little article or one little conversation that would kind of trip him up. And so one, one uh, Houston writer went to his mother, went to Dr. Rogers' his mother, and he asked her, he said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd just like to ask you about your age. So she said, okay. She said, come here. And he got a little, no, she said, come here, a little closer. She said, can you keep a secret? He said, I sure can. She said, I can too. (laughs) 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 You see, there's some things nobody will know until Jesus brings them out. Amen. Every secret thing. Here's the third thing. The present, a fourth thing, the presentation of the crowns. Let me get busy. I don't, what Paul refused to, uh, refers to, I don't think was very beautiful, and uh, I don't think we can understand it except from the standpoint that it was beautiful and valuable. He said gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, we don't know what that exactly means. We don't know what it's shaped like, what it really is. All we know, it's good stuff. Oh, we know it's valuable stuff. It's beautiful stuff. It's wonderful stuff. Gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the works that God is going to give us. And we read the Bible. Uh, you, say, you say, how do I know that I'm going to have good works? Listen to me. I'm going to give you two, two suggestions. If you want some reward someday from Jesus. Number one, read the Bible and you'll find how. Number two, live in the will of God and they'll find you. Y'all didn't get that, but if you'll write it down, you will someday. Because in Matthew chapter 10, there's a poor little old lady. She thought, nobody will ever get anything from me. Nobody will ever do anything for me. But Jesus passed away and he made sure that everybody understood this. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter how poor they was or rich they was. He said, any man that gives a cup of water in the name of a righteous man shall be righteous and get a righteous reward. And any man who gives a cup of cold water to a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. So some of preachers that we think, oh, you're going to have a lot of crowns, there's probably a lot of other people who's going to have a whole lot more crowns because they sowed the seed. All we got to do is just get in on the harvest a little bit. Because don't think we got a market on it. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he said, don't lay up treasures down here where rust and moth doth corrupt, but lay them up in heaven. Why? Because it's valuable. That, y'all, y'all hearing me? It's valuable. What God's going to give you, if you'll serve him and love him and live for him and obey him, what God's going to give you is beautiful and wonderful and valuable. 
And, he, and, he's, and Jesus knew that. But not everybody gets the same. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39 through 44, and I'm going to let you read it for yourself, but I'm going to explain it to you. He says there's two kinds of, 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 of people. There's the celestial, there's the terrestrial, there's the sun, and there is the moon, and, and, and there's the, the living, and there is the dead. And so he began to describe that. He said, so it'll be in the resurrection. In other words, not everybody will have the same rewards in heaven. And so I thought God was fair. I'll tell you, he's real fair. Uh, you ought to be glad you just get in. That ought to be enough to shout about. But some of our rewards will be different. Some will be more and less. Some will be higher or lower. We don't really know what they are. We just know they'll be valuable. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1 through 5, he said to Paul, or Paul says, that God wanted him to preach the uncompromised word, and he wanted the people to support that. That guaranteed their salvation. If they could preach the word and support the word, that propped up the fact that they had been saved, right? When somebody gets mad about the Bible, that means they've got something wrong with their salvation or something wrong with their consecration. One of the two. And so I want you to look at, look what he says in verse six. He says, I thought after he began to, began to talk to them, he said in verse six, we're always confident knowing while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. He said, I'm living my life with no regrets. I don't regret a thing. He said, God saved me, changed me. That part of my life's gone. I don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. But since I've been saved, I'm dying with no regrets. Mm. He poured himself. That's what this, what this verse means. If I, could, I had time to exegete, what it means is he poured himself out as a drink offering to God. That's what he's doing as he's dying. And then verse 7, he said, I fought a good fight. That means he stood his ground. He wouldn't move. He, wouldn't much. he was a little old fellow like me, and, but yet he stood his ground. When it come to God, when it come to his book, when it come to his truth, he wouldn't move. He wouldn't budge. There was a satanic warfare going on all the time. Y'all hear me? Now, look, look again at verse number seven. He, I, I believe he said there, uh, he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. When did he start doing that? On the Damascus Road. And I think right there, he said, I have believed since the Damascus Road. He had lived and looked with the expectation that Jesus Christ was coming and with the dedication that Jesus Christ was coming and with, with the inspiration that Jesus Christ was coming. Everything he did from that day forward, he believed Jesus was coming. Verse number eight, his rewards was awaiting him and all them that loved his appearing. Do you want to see Jesus today? Yeah. Well, let's look at the conditions of the crowns. I mean, the cancellations of the crowns. You see, you can gain crowns for God and you can lose what you've gained. That's why it was serious to Paul. Paul said, here's somebody served in the church five years, and they, now they're not serving God, but that's okay. They're saved. They'll be all right. No, they won't. 
They may get in heaven's door, that's all, but they're not going to be all right. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says some of our works are going to be burned up, right? And then I want you, 2 John, and, and you won't find this until tonight's service, but I'm going to read it to you. 2 John verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come to flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now listen to what he said. Look to yourselves, not to the preacher, not to the deacons, not to the husband, not to the wife, not to the children, not to the friends, not to the uncle, not to the cousins. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things we have wrought, which means those things we labored for but that we receive, look, leap, go on, that we receive a, what's that word say? What's that word say? Full. So that means it's possible have a full reward and that somebody take it away from us. We better look to ourselves. Y'all, what, y'all hearing me? Let me give you another in Revelation chapter 3, verse Verse 11, I'm going to read this one because I want you to hear it. I'm just about done. You'll hang in here with me just a moment. Revelation 3.11, behold, I come quickly. Now he's talking about his coming again. When, he, when, he, when he's talking about rewards, it's always somehow connected to his coming, you know, or dying or the resurrection or something like that. Look what he said, behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast that no man take thy crown. You can lose your crown. It's like checkers. You have to have some to lose them. Right? So, say you wind up with almost none. I don't think anybody will get in without any because the Bible says that you know, some was just a little bit fruitful, but everybody's going to have just a little bit of fruit. And God don't save people not to come forth and bear fruit, at least just a little bit of fruit. And so, you get in, you got that little old bitty, little bitty crown, looks like it all been on a Barbie doll. And then somebody walks by you, and they got 89 crowns stacked up on top of their head. And you're sitting there thinking, what a worm I am. It's going to happen, friend, just exactly like Jesus said. See, here in Second John, he said, loving one another is a good work. He said, looking to yourself is a good work. So there's a whole lot of people that's labored for Jesus, and they've let someone deceive them. You have to let people deceive you. You let them. You let them. You turn it on the Christian radio station or the Christian television station, and you let them deceive you. Or you sit down in a conversation with lunch and you know the truth, but you let somebody deceive you. Or some friend wants to take you out and talk to you and they deceive you. He says, let no man deceive you. You have to allow it. 
I've watched several of our men in our church walk away from this local church. They walked away bitter, sour, disgruntled. Uh, there may be some still here. They leave after Sunday school. They're not about to stay and hear me preach. They can, they follow Les Feldick on television. That seems to be their church. And friend, I want to tell you something. I don't know what he teaches. I'm not going to watch that mess. It's too boring for me, number one. But number two, I believe the Old Testament is still applicable. And number two, I don't believe there's more than one gospel. So I know there's two things we disagree on. So that's enough right there for me. But the truth of the matter is, anything that is really good will not cause people to leave a church in that condition. They let themselves be deceived. Mm. So anybody who misleads you about Jesus, it's the same thing. Now, Revelation 3 the works, presumably, are good. It's not many of them. It's a small group. You know, fundamentalism is getting smaller and smaller, right? But they have kept God's word. They have not denied the precious names of Jesus. You read Revelation 3 there. And in verse 9, it says, part of our reward is watching phonies. <laughs> this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Part of our reward is watching phonies kneel at our feet. I will love that. That person who trotted around, bragged about being saved, had this great testimony, turned out to be a phony, and there they bow. You say, why? Because every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only problem is the phonies waited too late. And you may be here today, and you may be a phony. You may have made a decision Maybe when you was a child, you may have made a, when you was a teenager off at camp, or you may have made a decision with somebody in an emotional service, and you got all fired up, but it hadn't changed your life one bit. You're just like you used to be. You're walking around just as dead, just as lifeless, just as useless as you used to be. Why don't you come today and get on your face and kneel down here today so when you kneel up there someday, it'll be a great day, not a bad day. And that's what he's talking about right here. So he, he said in verse 11, be what you've always been and let no man. Now you girls, listen, let no man deceive you. <laughs> that was a, that's a feminine verse right there, all right? It's actually neutral gender, but we're really going to tell you girls, let no man deceive you. We don't want a man deceiving you. You say, how's that work? Oh, the job, the coach, the sport, the politician, the career, the lifestyle. A church member could cause it. A liar, a gossiper. He said, hold fast. Don't budge. Here's what they'll say. Come on down to our church. We've got a rock band. They even play rock music. And not only that, there's smoke coming up. I think it's coming out of hell. We just zipped in up right on through. You know. There's smoke coming up. There's lights are flashing everywhere. 
There's no long sermons. You only have to go for one little time a week. Come to my church. Let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you. I gotta, I gotta quit. But what time is it? Good grace! I, I got a long time to preach. I, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna finish this thing out. Well, y'all like it? No. You said, "Well, I, I don't worry about that because the rapture protects me." You see, God was bragging on the church at Philadelphia. Not because they were going to be taken up in the rapture, which they were, but he was bragging on the church because they were working and obeying and standing and loving and believing. That's the kind of church it was. It was a loving church. It was a caring church. It was a serving church. It was a working hard church. It was a witnessing church. And Jesus loved it, and he bragged on it. And then... He goes down to the next church, Laodicea, and I believe we're in the Laodicean age. Now listen, you can't be in the Laodicean age without having some of the Philadelphians in it or the church would be gone. So God allows some people like is in the church at Philadelphia to be in these last days. I want to be in that number, don't you? I want you in the balcony and down here and the choir. I want to be in that number. I want to be one of the Philadelphia crowd that lives in the Laodicean world. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. It's getting harder every day. It's getting tougher every day. I'm not talking about the sin out there. I'm talking about the crazy things that's going on in churches. Because you know why? You read, you read it. Just read it. Verse 14 and read the rest of the book. And he'll tell you that these people don't think they have one blessed need. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't need one thing. And Jesus said, you're blind, you're wretched, and you're naked. And then listen to the word he said in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Thank God for those first three judgments. Somebody like that. Those first three judgments, as many as I love, I rebuke. That means they'd already passed confession. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Our message to this end-time world is repent. Behold, Jesus can't even get in his own church. Oh, not that he can't. Do what he wants to. What I'm saying is his presence will not dwell in churches like the Laodicean church. So he knocks on the door and said, if you'll open, we can have it like we used to. Because 1 John 2, 28 and 29 says when he comes, so you won't be ashamed that he's coming. I'm closing with this. I want you to notice his exaltation. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, one of the crowns is called a crown of rejoicing. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but I think we're going to be high-fiving. I think we'll be bumping nucks. I don't know what else they do today. What what weird stuff do they do today? All All kind of stuff. Rubbing heads, whatever. 
I just think it's going to be a happy, hallelujah, wonderful, blessed, glorious time when Jesus takes us all up and we look over there and we see that one, our mama, and we see our daddy, and we see our children, and we see our grandparents, and we see the people in our church, and our, oh, we're going to jump and we're going to shout and we're going to run with joy. Because the Bible says it's a crown of rejoicing to Paul. In Revelation 14, he talks about what could happen. I'm, I am almost through, I promise you. Verse 14. I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown. And in his hand, sharp sickle. What did he have on his head? What did he have? Crown. Uh, what kind of crown? What wood, hay, and stubble crown was it? No, it was a golden crown. You say, well, what's so important about that? What's so important about that? Because if you read the two verses up there, he said, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest, they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. They just keep coming. That means that if you sowed a seed down here and you died today and you're up in heaven and after somebody else comes along and waters that seed, somebody else works that seed and that seed comes up at the judgment seat, you get a crown. Mm. That makes me want to get a crown, don't you? Here's my last passage and we're done. Revelation 4. What kind of crown did Jesus have on his head when he came? Golden crown. All right, look at Revelation. Chapter number four. And round about the throne were four and 20 seats. I, I can't take you there, but that represents the leaders of the church. You never find the church mentioned after chapter four in Revelation until you get to marriage supper of the Lamb in 19. Okay, look. They're sitting clothed in white raiment. That means white righteousness. They're all saved. And they had on their heads. And they had on their heads. And they had on their heads. Well, now we looked in chapter 14. Brother Mike said Jesus had on his head a crown of gold. But now here he says that they're in heaven and all the church and all the folks that had gone up to heaven and all those that had been raptured into heaven are wearing crowns. You say, what's that about? Look over verse 10. Woo! I don't know if I can even stand this. If I run the aisles and these knees break on me about halfway, somebody pick me up and haul me home. But I want you to notice what he says. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sit on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, 
to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are created. You see, here's how it's all going to take place. You're going to take those pile of crowns that our Lord's given you and in this wonderful holy worship service and I don't know when it's going to be or how it's going to be or where it's going to be. I just know it's going to be within a seven year time frame and you're going to bow on your knees. You see worship means to prostrate yourself, prostrate yourself on the ground like this and you're going to do that and you're going to worship in your heart because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And then you're going to take your crown from off your head and you're going to say, Jesus, that little girl I won, I couldn't have won her. You won her. Here's your crown. You deserve that crown. And that teach that class I taught that grew and I took the credit. That's not my crown. That's yours. Here it is, Jesus. And we start throwing crowns at Jesus' feet. You help me preach that sermon. That's your crown, Jesus. You help me sing that song. That's your crown, Jesus. Oh, can you imagine what a service that's going to be? That prayer you answered, Jesus, that's your crown. Yeah. (laughs) That visit I made, walked in and knelt at a dirty house, and somebody gave their heart to Christ. We had no idea they did. And drug that child off somewhere to another city we never seen before. We get to heaven, we see that little child. God puts a reward on our hand. But when that time comes, it comes off and said, Jesus, I'd have never won her. It's your crown. It's your crown. Every crown belongs to Jesus. Jesus.